when we're videoing these, but uh, I do now. Um, it really is an amazing park. If you've not been to Signal Point, uh, some of you are new to Chattanooga, Signal Point, south side of Signal Mountain, you can go up just down the road from here, Signal Mountain Road, follow it on up. You can see signs that will say Signal Point this way, and you can uh, head out and see it. Not great for hiking right now until that gets cleared, but hopefully they'll get that cleared and you can go out and see just all the great things uh, that are up there. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at this parable a little differently. We're going to take communion together. We're going to hear Joe sing. I don't know where Joe got off to. We're going to hear Joe sing and then we're, and, and others, and then we're, we're going to go for today. Part of the way I need you to listen today is um, understanding, we're, we're in a search to understand how Jesus teaches, not just what Jesus says. Because usually Jesus doesn't cut to the chase. A lot of us like to cut to the chase. Just tell me what I need to know, tell me what I need to hear, and then I've got gone. I'm on to the next thing. Jesus doesn't teach that way. He's always at times teaching in not just parables, but it seems in riddles. So as we approach this text, that's part of the point that we are coming to this, not just to understand the soils, but to understand what is Jesus trying to do here and what does it look like to be rooted? So um, as we come through, if you've got your Bible, you want to turn to Matthew 13. This is, this is found in Matthew 13. And it's one of the very few parables that Jesus actually does go back and explain. He explains two things. One is, why do I teach in parables? The other is, well, what does this parable mean? So as we dive into this, I want to remind us that there is a, a narrative that runs from the beginning to the end of Scripture. It begins in Genesis 1-1, and it goes through the end of Revelation. The beginning, God created, just like most every great story that's ever been written in the beginning. And at the very, in the very last chapter, in about the second to the last paragraph, the Apostle John is saying to the churches that he's helped start, you will reign with him forever and ever, or as many of our great stories end, and they lived happily ever after. That's really where our great storytelling came from. It came from the story God's been telling from the very beginning. But this big narrative that we've been following, we have a tendency to, to hone in on a few pieces and miss the big picture. Like we can see the tree, like when we looked at that tall post oak, we see a, the trunk and we can't tell how tall it is. We have to back up and we have to see the big picture. The big story that we find throughout scripture is this, God made us to partner with him. He created and it was good and he put us in the garden and he said, just follow me. And one thing I don't want you to do is eat from these two trees in the garden. And Adam and Eve could not resist themselves any more than we could have resisted ourselves in that time when we thought, and they thought, ah, God's holding back on me. I'm going to go check this out. I'm going to go experience this for myself. And it launched humanity into this broken place of exile in which literally Adam and Eve are exiled out of the garden. We see that story repeated again when Israel has come into the promised land, which God has given them, and this incredible stories of, of them finally coming into the promised land, overtaking this massive city and seeing walls crumble down simply by screaming at them and having torches and pots that they break. Only God could have orchestrated that. But yet they continually turned away from God and they entered again into exile. The point was not that they were in new exile. The point that God had been trying to tell us all along is you are in exile unless you know me. There's something that happens within us, an emptiness that we can't always explain and we try to fill with all kinds of things. We fill it with 
substances or we fill it with entertainment or we fill it with trying to get ahead. We try to, to make everything work out just perfectly in our lives. We want to be comfortable and we want things to be easy. And for some reason, those things never satisfy. And God is saying, I, I have a plan. This big narrative says, I had something planned for you, and that plan was really beautiful. You were going to enjoy doing life together. You were going to love each other, respect each other, take care of each other. Most of the challenges we face today in the world, we wouldn't have faced. This was just a beautiful picture of what he wanted us to have, lives of peace, of perpetual joy, the things that we are in pursuit of but seem so elusive to us. He said, this was, all, this was the plan all along, this hope we have for heaven. This was the plan all along, but because you wanted your own plan, now you're, you're in exile because this is good. And if you want to do something else, you can't be a part of this. That big narrative is of God trying to restore us to that place, that return from exile, not to the garden, but to that place with God. So that leads us to the question of how does someone actually experience this return from exile? And the easy answer for those of you who have grown up in the church is, well, Jesus says, I am the way. Yes, Jesus is the way. But sometimes, again, we miss the forest for the trees. Now, Jesus, interestingly, is having this conversation with a lot of people, some people who liked him, some people who hated him, some people who wanted him dead and were plotting against him. And when given the opportunity to say, now this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. This is what you're going to be expecting or experiencing whenever you enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is the story that he tells, which is often how he taught. He says, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seeds along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and when they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then verse 9, he says this, because to us, we think the point is the sower and the soils, Right? I mean, the, your Bible probably has a heading that says, this is the parable of the sower. But what Jesus says in verse 9 is really where he's going with this whole story for those who would listen. And he even says that. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, let me ask you parents, when your kids were young, maybe when they're older too, and you needed them to do something. Clean your room, clean the bathroom, Take your dirty clothes and put them in the laundry room. Do the dishes. Take out the garbage. Did you present them with a riddle on how they should accomplish what you wanted them to accomplish? All who like to communicate with your kids that way, raise your hand. Okay, so Marie does. That's a little bit of torture. So Marie does. I know Marie. I don't believe that's true. But, no, you don't give them a riddle. You don't insinuate. Like, if you insinuate to your kids what you want them to do, just expect it's not going to happen. You sing? She does? Listen. All right, so we're a small, we're a small group this morning. I feel, I feel that this should be a group activity. 
and that Marie should come up and demonstrate how she communicates with her kids through song. Does anyone else think Marie should come up and communicate what that looks like? <laughs> Listen, it's not as good as the moment that it's happening. You're, we're going to miss the moment. All right, we'll let you off the hook. But no, you don't. Like, you don't insinuate. You say, I need you to go clean your room. Or I need you to, in our house sometimes, I need you to pick that up and that up and that up and that up, right? You didn't have to go through and give it. Okay, others do that. Now, you would think that when Jesus is coming down to what is this whole thing really about, that he would do that. Like, I'm not going to leave this up to interpretation. I'm not going to let you think about this. I'm going to put this in absolutely clear language that you know exactly what I'm talking about. And... You'll get it. And Jesus says this in his moment. Everybody's watching. It's like a sower went out to sow seed. And I imagine his disciples were sitting there going, what? You, Jesus, you are blowing this. I don't know what this story is, but you are blowing this. And I really believe that's what they're communicating to Jesus, which is why this is the parable that then he goes to his disciples and say, can I just tell you why I'm doing this? I think that's exactly what Jesus does. And this is really kind of the point of the story. And honestly, this is also the point of what it means to be good soil. Now, after he tells this story, verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear, which by the way, Jesus says a lot, which leads us to the place of understanding that what Jesus is trying to do is root out the people that aren't really serious about what he's saying. Because if you're serious about what I'm saying, you're going to think about this and you're going to consider this and you're going to contemplate this and you're not going to go, yep, got it, seeds, got it, done, next story. But instead, these words will resonate within you. They'll bounce around in your mind, and you'll struggle with them, and you'll say, God, what? Am I good seed, good soil today? I feel kind of rocky today, or I feel like a hard path. It's really, we'll get to that in just a minute. So Jesus, when he's wanting to kind of explain why he's teaching this way, which is what good soil is, we're getting to the place of, well, what is good soil? This is how he explains it. In verse 10, he says, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? You had a perfect opportunity. All you had to do was give them three points and a nice little story to wrap it up, and they would have gotten it, and then we would have been out of here. But no, okay, that's not exactly what it says, but that's what they're doing. Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. I mean... Hang on those words. Like like seeing they cannot see. You ever known somebody that they just, they have all the pieces. They have all the pieces about faith. They have all the pieces. But it's like they can't put the pieces together. They see, but they can't see. When we talked about lamentations a few weeks ago and and Solomon, he 
you know, here, here's the wisest king and, and the wisest man other than Jesus who ever lived, and he wrote Lamentations. And part of Lamentations, he says this, like, this is how bad life can get, he says. He says, you can have everything and feel that you have nothing. They have, but they cannot feel that they have. Say it like this, they see, but they do not see. Now, of course, somebody is going to be like Jesus. All right, um, you need to, you need to put those special brownies away because that makes no sense. So he goes along and he communicates. He says, and this is what he says. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. You know, we talked about perception. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for you see, and your ears For they hear, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I I am a hesitant fan of a monk called Richard Rohr. I I don't like everything Richard Rohr talks about, but I like a lot of stuff he talks about. One of the things that I share with people who are struggling in life, Richard Ward talks about the two halves of life. The first half of life, you are working hard to get yours. You're going to school, you're trying to get on the team, you're trying to win the game, you're trying to get a good career, you want to earn a good money, you want a job that is enjoyable, and also pays really well, and you don't have to work very much, right? That's what we all want. And they want all those things, and they never actually enjoy life because life is all about what they don't yet have. This is the first half of life. The interesting thing is, because you assume if there are two halves of life that everyone reaches the second half of life, Richard Orr says not everybody reaches the second half of life. Some people, this is how they live from birth till death. I've got to have more. I've got to have the next thing. This isn't good enough. It's just exactly what Solomon says they have, but they can't enjoy it. He says the second half of life, or where the first half of life is marked with competitiveness. There's not enough. I've got to get mine. I'll never have enough. The second half of life gives up on that search and says, I'm done. I'm going to live this life. I'm going to love people. I'm going to be content with what I have. Life is good, and I'm going to enjoy it. And a lot of people never reach that second half of life. That's part. That's not exactly what Jesus is saying, but that's part of what he is saying. There's a whole group of people that they see it, but they don't get it. Now, remember, he's talking to a crowd that includes Pharisees and people who are going to shout crucify him in the future and his disciples and people who are curious and to the whole group he says this is what the kingdom of god is like it's like a out into a field now, jesus uses a lot of these analogies like a lot 
of these analogies. We're actually going to come back to a portion of this parable on the last week when we talk about scattering seed. But in this particular case, what he's saying is, like, I want the people who want to see, they're going to see. But the people who don't want to see, doesn't matter what we do, they'll never see it. Doesn't matter how clear we are, they'll never get it. It doesn't matter how many short lists we give, they are not going to understand what this is about. You are blessed because you see. You are blessed because you hear. And then he goes on, interestingly, to say, now let me explain what the parable to you. Because even they didn't fully get it. Now we have the, the benefit of of having the explanation, and so we're like, yeah, we get it. I mean, this is so clear, but is it? Is it clear? Jesus is really saying there are four ways people will receive the message. Now, the way most people understand this sower, the parable of the sower is pretty spot on and, and pretty easy to, to grasp. The sower is, who? who is the sower? Somebody throw it out there. Sower is God or Jesus, or we can get into Trinitarian theology, but yeah, it's God. And the seed, what is the, somebody give, give it a shot, what is the seed? It's the gospel. And what we talked about last week uh, was, well, what really is the gospel? Like we assume the gospel is Jesus died on the cross and he rose again for the forgiveness of our sins and so that anyone who believes in him confesses him with their mouth and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. That is the gospel. That is not the gospel. That is a piece of the gospel. It is an important piece of the gospel. We talked about last week is that the gospel is we get to go home. We get to go home. What God intended, we get to go home to. We get to walk with him again. He gets to be in our presence again. He actually comes and lives within us through the Holy Spirit. We... We get to go home. We've been in exile, this idyllic existence where we don't have conflict. Or if we do, we work through it and we're the better for it. We don't fear hardship because we have each other to help us through hardship. Here's the truth of the matter. Hardship is only hard when it's shouldered by one person. But hardship when shouldered by a community is an opportunity for more joy. Because if you've ever experienced something hard and then someone comes alongside and says, let me help you with that, do you not experience joy in that moment? I mean, come on, those of you who do laundry in the house, I won't assume it's just the moms in the house, but come on. When somebody says, mom or dad or whoever does it, I want to help you with the laundry this week. Do you go, oh. I mean, you just stabbed me straight in the heart. I mean, why would you say that to me? No, you wouldn't say that. You'd be like, oh, praise the Lord. Wait, let me get a camera. I want to video this. I want to remember this moment, right? That's what you would probably say. When we come to the parable of the sower, there is so much here. Things we don't Things we don't question in this parable. Number one, we don't question who the sower is. Okay, it's God. Got it. We don't question that the seed is the message. We may, you know, talk about the message a little differently, but we don't question that the seed is the gospel, however we're going to define the gospel. You know what else we don't question within this story? We don't question the messenger who scatters the seed if it's not just God. If we 
understand that we have a place of scattering the gospel in the world. This parable says nothing about the way that you scatter the seed. It just simply says this message goes out. So we want to make sure we get the message right. The message goes out. There's no question in this. In other words, Jesus never says this would never have been a problem if the messenger had done a better job. It never says that. We assume the messenger is immaterial. You have the message, you have the sower. All of the the whole weight of this parable hinges on the listener. The listener. This is important because we live in a time where personal responsibility is a four-letter word, right? If we talk about that, we're oppressive. We are oppressive. We are oppressing people now because we think that you have a responsibility to do something. Jesus never struggles with this. Never questions this. He never tries to convince people otherwise. He just simply says things like this. The weight of the response is on the listener. It is not on the other listeners. It is not on the other people. It is on the listener. So the question is, how do we listen? If we want to get to the place of understanding, well, then what does it mean to be good soil? We have to get to the place where we say, how do we need to listen? What if that is what this parable is really all about? How do we hear I mean, he actually says this is what this parable is all about. How do we hear? Then he goes on and he says in verse 18, he says, well, let me explain this to you, which always brings me hope for myself when I read something and I'm like, I just, I don't get it. I always like it when the 12 closest people to Jesus, Jesus is like, sit down. All right, let's go over this one more time. I always appreciate that because it makes me feel better about myself. All right. Just being honest. Verse 13, he says here, the parable of the sower. Interestingly, here. Those who have ears, let them hear. Now he's saying here. In other words, listen, understand. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away when he has sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. And what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and receives it with joy, like receives it. I think this is a lot of people today. I think between this one and the next group of seed, this is there's a lot of people today. One who hears it receives it with joy and has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for that was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So there's four types of people that are going to hear the message. Now, what Jesus is doing in this in this story, when he's speaking to all of these people, he's got like committed followers. He's got people who are committed to killing him. He's got people who are just like, I don't know. I, this is very interesting. I've heard lots of interesting things about Jesus. I'm just here to kind of see the show and maybe he'll heal somebody. And I don't know what all this is about. You've got all of these different people in this same crowd. And Jesus tells this story and he's saying, now everyone who's listening to this story, you're going to fit into one of the four categories of this story. And what he intends for them to do is to hear 
which means part of hearing is to reflect and to ask the question, which one am I? People who follow Jesus in a committed relationship with Christ are constantly reflecting and trying to understand more and trying to understand where they fit in the story. Those who have ears, let them hear. Now, these four people, if we were to, your translation may say things a little differently, but if, if we're going to understand who these four people, the, the first one, the seed falls on the path. This is just, this is the group of people that we could just say they're hard-hearted, but the reality is they're just not interested. Like the path people just don't care. Now, we don't know why they don't care. It could be that they grew up in a church in which if you didn't toe the line, you were vehemently punished, like either verbally or physically, or, or, or maybe they're just so crazy that, you know, you've got people professing Jesus in one minute and just abusing, you know, their kids the next. Those kids grow up and are like, I don't want to have anything to do with that Jesus. I know what that Jesus is about, and I have no part of it. We don't know why someone is uninterested. It could be somebody grows up and you're kind of, you grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth and you, you get to the best schools and the best colleges and then your parents are connected to the best employers and they get you the best job and now you're just like coasting through life and life is, is just as easy as you can imagine. You don't understand why anybody else is struggling because look how easy time I've had of it. Why do I need God? I don't need God. I'm uninterested. That's the path. The path are people that are just uninterested for whatever reason. Either they just think this is a bad deal because I've seen people and they're bad people. Or, you know what? I'm doing pretty good myself. This is one of the reasons Jesus says, you know what? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not because rich people are bad, but because rich people don't necessarily feel like they need anything to change. I'm okay with everything. Because look, I, I have all I need. If I run into trouble, I can take care of it. I don't really need Jesus. This is also one of the reasons Jesus said, I'm coming for the oppressed and for the sick and for the captive and for the poor, because they are not happy with the world, and they are open to hearing the message of a return from exile. They're open to that. So the path, for whatever reason, I'm just, you know, I'm just not really, it's just not for me. Like, I, I, I like some things about it. I, I like heaven. I don't really like the other stuff. So it's just not for me. That's the path. And Jesus gives zero indication that there's anything we can do about this. Now, why would we want to do something about the path? If you love Jesus and you perceive your children, do not. You want to know how do I stir up the path? your parents are not believers and you are, how do I stir up the path for them? I want them to receive the message. If you're good friends, do not hear the message and you desperately want them to hear the message. How do I stir up the path? Jesus gives us no scenario in which we can then go and stir up the path. I do think there are some things that help. I'm going to show those in a minute. But he really doesn't give us that. All right, second. We'll come back to that in just a second. The second one is the rocky ground. And if we were to give it a title, we would call it the Fairweather Christians. So 
So there's this rocky ground and they scatter the seed and the seed falls and it, it, it some falls on the rock and, and it's just like falling on the path. But some of it just hits the little soil and nobody's going to stomp on it because it's rocky. Like nobody wants to walk over there. And there's just enough soil that it can bear, you know, a little bit of root and it'll spring up and it feels great and everything's good. And then it gets really hot and the sun comes out and it wilts because the way that it sustains hardship is it has to have deep roots is why we were talking about growing deep throughout this series. You've got to have deep roots. Interestingly, on those paths, even on the video that I showed, there are places where the root is so strong that you actually use them as steps now. But a young plant, you step on it, it'll die. But when you have deep roots, deep, strong roots, I will even use them for steps on a path. And they just continue to thrive. What he's saying here is, like, these are people that maybe, maybe we grew up in church, we grew up in a really fantastic youth group. And life was just good and fun. And we would get up and, and we would read scripture and we would get pats on the back and people would say, yes, oh, that's so exciting, that's so wonderful. Or maybe little kids, we, you know, we sing Jesus Loves Me and you would have thought it was like the greatest concerto of all time, right? And you're like, I want to sing again. And we just feel so good. And then you get a little older and you get in high school or you go in college and you find out that the people out that aren't in your youth group or aren't in your church, now they think you're really weird because you talk about being a Christian. Things get turned up a little bit, and you think, oh, this is too hard. This is too hard. I'm done. I'm out. I don't want life to be this hard. That's really the kind of person he's talking about here. It springs up, but then when the hardship comes, because it does come, Jesus says it is going to come if we don't, if we're not rooted in this this wilt. This is happening a lot today. A lot. A lot today. The third kind among the thorns. Now, you have to understand how this story is being told. So, the story is about the soil, right? And you have this seed, which is the message. So, what are the thorns? Sometimes we say, well, the thorns are like people. Yes, I mean, they could be, but that's, that doesn't really stick with the analogy that Jesus is telling because we're talking about soil and what's growing out of our lives, not other people imposing on our lives. There's something growing up out of our lives. And, and maybe he would phrase it something like this. He would say something more like, there are, are a group of people and they get the gospel and they, and they accept Jesus, and they, but they accept a lot of other things too. Like, I like Jesus, but you know what else I like? And they have all these other priorities in their life. And Jesus is, I'm like, you're a priority, but I mean, I really like this other stuff too. What Jesus is saying is eventually, because Jesus doesn't work that way, and he says that in a number of different ways in the Bible. He says things like, I want you to be hot or cold. I don't want you to be lukewarm. Like, I don't want you in between. I want you to be yes or no. Both are acceptable. Yes and no, not acceptable. He also says a lot of people are going to be in this situation in which, okay, so I got some Jesus here and I'm doing some of my Jesus things, but I got some other stuff over here that I like too. I don't tell my Jesus people about this stuff, but I like this stuff too. And he says, some of you are going to come and stand before me one day and I'm going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Which to me is the most 
to this day, the most frightening verse in scripture for me. Even Paul was scared of this one because he's like, listen, I could be working my whole life on this stuff. And what if I get it wrong? I don't want to get it wrong. Jesus is saying this third type of person, like they want Jesus, but they don't really want Jesus. Maybe they want what Jesus offers, and maybe they want Jesus' help, and maybe they want to make sure that they're not going to go to hell, which Jesus never used hell as a motivation to follow him. Never. Find me one place in Scripture in which Jesus says, follow me or go to hell. You will not find it, because this is not how Jesus works. Jesus says, I'm here. This is the pearl of great price, the treasure buried in the field. Come on. And if someone rejected him, we also never see Jesus, like the rich young ruler who says, listen, I have done everything right, and now I'm here to follow you. And he goes, and he says, okay, yeah, but the one thing you haven't done Go sell everything you have and give it away, and then you can come follow me. And he leaves sad. We never see Jesus goes, I really thought that one was going to work. Oh, we really needed him. Oh, I just, this is not going well. Jesus never responds that way. He simply says, those of you who have ears to hear, hear it. And those who don't, won't. And it falls among the thorns. There are just too many other things to commit to. I like Jesus. But I like a lot of other things too. Jesus says, I'm I'm it. I'm all or nothing. I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. And then we have this good soil. Now let me just very honestly say. Some days I'm good soil, and some days I'm rocky ground. Can I just be honest? And I don't think I'm ever the path because I, like, I don't want to turn away from my faith. Like He always matters. I may He may matter in different degrees for me on day to day, but I'm not always good soil. I think if we read this parable of saying, you know what, you people who are here this morning are all good soil, good job. I think we missed the point of what he's trying to say. Good soil. I see and I hear. It is the people that say life is really not all that great. There's a lot of holes in this life. There's a lot of problems, a lot of brokenness, a lot of disappointments. It just feels, something in me feels like this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be something different, something better, something more. And, and, and we all will feel that and will pursue different things. The person that sees and hears says, I really want to understand this. I really want to get this. I, I, I really want to live this out in my life. I think it's important when we compare this to being among the thorns. It does not mean that Jesus is your only thing. Like, if your boss calls and says, why didn't you show up for work today? And you say, well, because Jesus is my thing, then like, that's fine. You'll be hungry, <laughs> right? And you'll be living on the street if you don't have a friend that will take you in. It's not that he's our only thing, but he is our main thing. He is the thing that everything else is filtered through. 
It, he is the thing that we say, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to live my life. Scripture is not about reading it so I can know it. Scripture is about living it and doing it. You don't, you don't grow. This is cute, isn't it? You don't grow by what you know. You grow by what you do. James had this problem, by the way, and James said it this way. You say, look at my works, or you say, look at my faith. I don't need works. And James says, but I tell you, look at my works, and you will see my faith. Can't grow by what we know. We grow by what we do. See, this isn't the only thing, but he is the main priority. I mean, this is what I want to wrap up with. This leads to some interesting questions. Can you prepare the soil so that those we care about receive it and they will themselves be good soil? I would say yes and no. No. You are not in control of how they perceive. No matter if you want to control how they perceive, they are in control of how they perceive. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It tills the ground. Jesus says, this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. It's going to draw you to this stuff that I'm telling you. This is it. This is what the Holy Spirit within a believer does. He, even, when, and even those who aren't believers, he convicts. He says, there's a better thing out there. But in reality, a person is open or they aren't. doesn't mean they never will be. We just can't coerce people into the kingdom, but we have sure tried. We went out to eat at a Mexican restaurant with my parents a few weeks ago. Jonathan and I were there. I ordered fajitas. What do they say to you when they bring your fajitas out? Don't touch the plate. It's hot. I come from a line of disbelievers. My dad, I get it from him. I've passed it on to my own family. Oh, sir, this is hot. Don't touch the plate. Here's my dad. I had to see. I had to see. Jonathan says, Dad, I'll give you $5 if you touch the plate. Now, those of you who know Jonathan, what do you think I did? I did, but I did it really fast. I was like, $5. He's like, nope, nope. That's not long enough. Cannot be outdone by my 15-year-old son who has been on the earth for 15 years who's talking about my pain, not his, not the fact I've been on this earth for 49 years. He has dared me. The finger goes on the plate. You know what happens on a super hot plate, by the way? You don't feel a pain at first, right? So you touch it and you're like, that's not bad. And then all of a sudden, it's like my finger's about to explode. It is so bad. So the rest of the meal, I literally am pulling ice out of my drink, just resting my finger on it. And I'm looking at him, and he's chuckling, and I'm like, $5, kid, $5. My finger, finger will heal. Yes, it was worth it. I was coerced by a 15-year-old, and my finger hurt for the next week, right? And I'm leading a church. That's the sad we can coerce in a lot of things. We cannot coerce in this, right? We went, Jonathan, Jake, and I, we were in 
Pigeon Forge, we went, we had to stand in line. It was when all the mask mandates were still in. We were standing in line to get into the Nike store. I don't know. Everybody wanted to go to the Nike store. We were there. 45 minutes, we waited in line to get in the store. And if the outlet in Pigeon Forge, there's one of those enormous swings outside. You know, like you see people and you think they have a death wish because it's super high. And then there's videos of people doing this and they have a camera where they watch them and they let them go from, you know, like hundreds of feet in the air and then they swing. And it was interesting. They had this elevator that would take people up to the top. It was really an amazing feat of engineering. And like the, the floor would open and the elevator would go up and the floor would close and the people would get out. And theoretically, you would then get in the seat, they would put the seat out, and then when everything is ready, it would let go, and you would swing out, and then they would bring you back, and it was really an amazing thing. Uh, we were there for 45 minutes. We saw a lot of coercion in those 45 minutes because the elevator would go up and the floor would open, and the elevator would go up and the floor would close, and then the seat would come back. Now, theoretically, in this series of events, the next thing to happen is they get in the seat and the seat comes out, but instead the floor opens, the elevator comes back down, only to never see anybody swing. Somebody coerced them to go do this thing, of which I, of course, tried to get my sons to do it. They wouldn't. They're not as easily coerced as I am. We can coerce people in a lot of ways. We can't coerce in this. This is, this is what I want to leave you with. There is no way for me to give you, hey, this is how you need to be good soil. That's not how Jesus talked. That's not how this works. We'll tell you there are three indicators that I have seen over my life that someone is good soil. I'll leave you with these three. I think the point of what Jesus is saying is for you to think about which soil are you right now. Not for me to tell you which soil you are, but for you to spend the next week thinking about, eh, is he my main priority? Or do I have a lot of other things I like? Am I really excited because I'm getting a lot of encouragement? But as soon as somebody says something negative about me or Christianity, like I'm thinking about bugging out, is that me? Am I really growing deep? Am I exactly the same I've been for years as a Christian now? Have I not really grown anywhere? Where are we? Or am I here because someone asked me to come or told me I'm coming, but I don't really want to be here. I'm just not interested at all. If that's the case, like there's no, re no reflection will happen for the person on the path, that that's the path. Like they will not reflect. That's the whole point. Like they don't even contemplate this. Like I'm good. I am good. The way Jesus put this out there was, I want you, you figure this out. Where are you? And some days I'm like, man, I am growing. I'm deep. Some days I'm like, boy, that sun is hot, 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 Jesus. Where are you? I think there are three best indicators a person is good soil. Number one is humility. I've never known a person come to faith in, authentic faith in Christ without some level of humility. This is where repentance is born out of, humility, willingness to give and to sacrifice, to say it's not about me, it's about someone else. Second one is consistency and endurance. We see this over time. We see the same person in every place that they are be the same way. 
It's consistency. It's one of our biggest problems in the church today is we have people in church acting one way and outside the church acting another way. And we're one way when we're talking about Jesus and another way when we're posting on Facebook. And we, we are so inconsistent as a people. Consistency and endurance, you endure to the end, that is an evidence. And the third one that we'll talk about another week is that they'll bear fruit. And what does that look like? Bearing fruit. Jesus said, my followers bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, something's wrong. These are indicators of good soil, but we cannot make somebody good soil. We can encourage. We can create the right environment. We can teach with our hearts and with our lives, and we can teach what is right and good, and we can show them what the good news is to the very best of our ability. That is our best opportunity to cultivate the ground, but we cannot coerce. We cannot make it happen. We close. We've got one more song we're going to do. If you haven't already picked up your communion cups, you can run up here and get them. Let's take communion differently today. Communion is all about coming together with each other and with Christ. Which soil are we today? Which one are we? I remember that time I was a good soil, but right now I feel pretty rocky. I feel really rocky. And honestly, after this pandemic, I'm not even sure I really care anymore place where we have to be honest? Or are you at a place of saying, I'm sick of being rocky. I'm so tired of not caring. I'm tired of having all these competing priorities in my life. I'm, I'm going all in. I'm going all in. This is a time for you to have that time with Christ. To say, I'm, I'm all in with you. You went all in with me. I'm all in with you. Whatever that needs to be, whatever this time needs to be, take those out. We're going to sing this song. I'll rejoin you after, and then we'll, you can either take communion during the song, or I'll lead you through it after. Let me pray with, pray with you, and we'll continue. Father, you are the good sower. And I thank you for the series of events in my life and your, your pursuit of me over and over that at some point I became good soil. I pray that you'd give me eyes to see and ears to hear so that I, I stay there. Pray for those in this room that are just, life just really is awful. That's not what you intended. Maybe they're seeing with different eyes and hearing with different ears, not what you're trying to show them. I pray they will see and hear what you're trying to help them to see and hear. As we take communion this morning, we trust you, we love you. You are the pearl of great price. You are the everything. I thank you that we have this opportunity to grow deep. And when the sun comes or the storms come, that we can stand strong because you have given us something that we forgot a long time ago, all the way back to the garden, what it's like to not be in exile anymore, to be with you, to truly live life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.